Wow. <laughs> I hope my uh, title slide didn't take away from the, the beauty of the instrument or the violin. So thank you, Daniel. All right, so there's the title. Don't tune out. This morning I want to read Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Job 41.11. Who has given me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven is mine. Isaiah 42.5. Thus says God the Lord, he who created the heavens, stretch them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, and life to those who walk in it. Lord, this morning I just pray that as your word comes forth, Lord, whatever I miss or whatever I misspeak, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would um, direct and guide everything that you have to say to your people. Lord, if there's something that uh, you want to say, I pray that everything gets cleared out of our minds and we're ready for the word. God, we thank you for who you are. So if you, uh, if you want to make friends, there's a couple of topics to stay away from. That's politics, religion, money. But this morning you're in church, and the topic is stewardship, so I hope we can be friends after this. <laughs> so being a steward means to care for or manage the property of another person or an owner. So being a steward led to the surname in the olden days, and... Uh, those, those last names became Stuart. Uh, so this morning, I want to link the biblical references with a little bit of visual. So maybe you can remember, if you see these faces, you kind of remember the, the topics this morning. Jimmy Stewart, of course. Uh, a few weeks ago, Bill taught on stewardship. He rightly explained that God owns everything. And the title of his sermon was, It's All His. And it's right. That's right. It's exactly right. Being a steward of God's resources is a part of every believer's life. So we, we give back to God in a way, uh, because he owns everything, we recognize his ownership, and uh, we are responsible for what we have. It's a, a type of worship, our stewardship. The term stewardship in Christian culture is often linked to something of a giving campaign or a tithing campaign or some sort of um, maybe a building building fund or a fundraising measure for, you know, sending youth off to ski trips or whatnot. Um, But in this instance, this morning, I want to talk about how it goes beyond money and giving. It's more to do with our identity. So you think about how uh, in the Bible it talks about things like anger being akin to murder, lust being akin to adultery. I'm convinced that money, possessions, your work, the things that you do to provide for yourself are a part of your identity. It's a deeper concept than just simply what you carry around in your wallet. And that's why God has to talk about it. He wants to know that you understand he's the owner, you're the steward. At the heart of... um, So I often talk about that in basic, uh, how 
you know, in the word, you need to go deeper into the principles of things. It's not that the word is, is short on anything. It's that maybe we don't see it in its full depth, and it's the Holy Spirit that reveals that over time, um, that those deeper principles, and that's why Christ came back and, and reiterated um, that there are deeper meanings. Um, When we make Christ the Lord of our life, we can readily turn over our old nature to him. So suddenly we see that we have sin in our life, right? As we experience our Christian life, we know that's, that's usually the, the turning point in our redemption as we find ourselves in a sinful nature and we need a Savior. Yet that's not the end of the journey of repentance. It then becomes the, the deeper struggle is the obedience so once we start overcoming the sin and seeing that the power of God over sin uh, has changed us, now there's a new part of our life, and that's the learning to be obedient part. That's uh, becoming our new identity. So as the Holy Spirit guides us into the Father's will, harder, more subtle things get addressed. Obedience rather than sin becomes the struggle. A big part of the struggle is understanding our new true identity as stewards in his kingdom. We should take stock of how we view ourselves as stewards of God's resources. Our worldly identity is often tied to our occupation. Whether we like it or not, we see ourselves through a lens of what we do eight, ten hours a day. It's a big part of who we are. It's one of the big three. Think about when you meet somebody new, What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? We can fill in a lot about people through asking these types of questions. Your name may give away ethnic roots, like William O'Sullivan. Your name might give away what generation you belong to, even. You think about Bob and Dorothy, those types of names, or new millennial names like Isander and Kareth or Jar. I remember the name. So um, other things like where you're from, that can give you an idea of where the person, uh, kind of their personality, their flavor, that sort of thing. So if you find somebody that you meet from California, from Florida, you can kind of think, well, they like hot, sunny weather and the beaches and things. But perhaps, it, perhaps they're from the Dakotas, and you just know that they hate life. <laughs> uh, so things like southern hospitality, uh, northern frankness or uh, Midwest sensibility, that sort of thing. Um, but when it comes to work, it can tell you a lot about a person's education, perhaps a dedication to a craft, a master craftsman or something like that. Um, it'll tell you a lot about um, how much time they've spent doing something, the skills that they've developed. You can kind of see it as you meet them. You're like, oh, well, that makes sense. I, I understand that you're a doctor. Would you mind looking at this? You know, um, So it tells you a lot about somebody. It can tell you about their social status. It may tell whether they move around a lot. You know, Think about military people or uh, missionaries. They move around quite a bit. Uh, how we make a living or spend our time providing for ourselves or our families it defines a major part of our identity. So I'm going to have to go through this one kind of quick. We might have some protesters come in and try to take it down. This is Jeb Stewart, who's a Confederate general. Uh, 
So the idea is that we, we probably live on a spectrum of how we view our identities. So there might be a part of you that thinks, well, who I am right now isn't really who I identify myself as. So you don't really own it. You don't want to own it. Perhaps you're, you're underemployed or perhaps you're in a job that others don't see, you know, the old son-in-law, father-in-law struggle of, like, how are you going to provide for my daughter? Well, I'm, you know, I've got a full-time job at, you know, such and such terrible place. And the father-in-law is like, well, you know, that's not going to cut it. Um, so you might find yourself in that sort of scenario where you think, well, I could do better. Or perhaps you are short on resources of, of time or education or the access to education or that sort of thing. And so you think maybe I could be so much more. Perhaps you, you even think of the kind of the saying of don't judge me by what I do, but judge me by who I am. So don't, um, don't look at the job I have. I'm, I'm much more than that. And that's true. There are, there's a lot about that. But you are identified by what you do day to day and how you provide, how well you provide. It is a part of your, uh, your identity. If you don't believe me, ask the IRS. They'll, they'll readily slap a label on what you do. Um, so the, it's the idea that you know, even if you don't own that identity of what you do, you have an identity of what you do. Now, the other end of this is you do own it. You really own it. You really love what you do, or you're really good at what you do. And everything you've made out of it is because of you. It's your hard work. It's your dedication. It's everything that you've put into it. It's all the sacrifices you've made. And every bit of reward and responsibility is yours. You get to keep it because of what you've done. So those are the kind of the two ends of the spectrum. And you can kind of think about how you view your work life or your occupation or how you provide whatever you provide you can see where you might fall along that spectrum. The deal is, it's not just a linear spectrum. There's also the next level, which is the stewardship level. He owns it all. So at the opposite ends of the, direct, of the spectrum, we can see the differences, but the similarity is no matter what, if we see ourselves as the owners of that, we can either make excuses of how we don't own it or we can make uh, claims that we do own it. The problem is we own it, but we don't really own it. He owns it. So the spectrum frames our identity. We decide all the things related to the part of our identity and stewardship. They become... Our, our stewardship can become a token if we claim that we own it. So instead of saying that this is God's and I give back to him because it's God's, we're kind of paying off. Uh, we see ourselves as giving an offering, not giving back what he owns, but something that we give to him. Perhaps we see our tithe and our offering as a sort of spiritual insurance or perhaps an investment opportunity. Like if we think of, well, you know, if I give, I'll get back. You can only uh, expect to get back if you give. Um, I've grown up in churches. I've heard sermons. I've heard 
TV preachers where, you know, sow a seed or, um, or give to the church that you might receive back. You know, God, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, you know, these types of things that kind of encourage you to give almost in a selfish way to get back. It's like, you know, open your doors so that you can receive back. You know, you can, you, uh, you can only receive money if you open your hand, you know, and what you have goes out and what God wants to bless you with comes in. And it's, it's not right. Um, it's not to say that those scriptures are wrong in sowing seeds or planting or sowing and reaping. Those are absolutely biblical principles, but the context and, and how it works uh, can easily be taken out of context. So we must keep those in uh, their proper range. So this type of ownership, identity, and resources lacks a true appreciation of God's provision in our lives and the need to be obedient as long as we pay in on Sunday. We should instead understand that he owns it all, and we are stewards, not for his benefit, but for ours. We're the beneficiaries of his resources. Why do we need to be stewards? It's not certainly because he needs us to work his land or to work his cattle on a thousand hills. We share his image. Being made in the image of God, we are made to be in relationship with him. And how do we relate with the owner of everything? He can't just give us all of his stuff, but he can make us stewards. And then we can identify with what he does. Being a steward means that we need to know who he is, how he does things. The way that he is the owner can, and he can share his possessions with us, um, we must be stewards and care for what he has. Not only are stewards supposed to use them responsibly, but they're also supposed to know how they're to be used by that, that owner. Their role is to reflect the owner's status and act with the same intent. If we have experience with people like bankers or managers or uh, a realtor, a lawyer, they're supposed to represent our interest. And they get compensated for it. But that relationship would break down real quick if we found out that they were skimming money off of us or if they were not acting in our best interest or they had some other hidden agenda, we wouldn't keep them around as stewards of our stuff, would we? So this is, this is where the parable of the talents comes in in Matthew 24. When the master distributed the talents, he didn't just call three guys in randomly and say, here's some money, I'm, I'm headed out of town, do something with it. He knew these guys. He hired them to do this specific task. And he didn't just know them that he was there. they were his employee. He knew each one of them, and he distributed the talents based on his knowledge of what they did, how they managed. He knew them, but they also knew him. They all recognized who he was, and it was stated that way in the, the excuse of the third and growing up, I always heard this story and thought, well, man, 
it was awfully harsh of the master to say, you know, you went and buried it, you were afraid to use it. And, and I, I thought, well, you know, growing up, I've, I've had different times in my life where I've worried about, you know, do I have enough or am I doing the right thing? Nobody wants to be the sucker on the end of a deal. And it might be easier just to, to not do anything. It might be the safer route. And, uh, you know, I remember some of the first times I did adult things with money, uh, I had to uh, pay my car insurance when I was 16. And I was making $20 a week mowing grass, and the insurance was $120 a month. And I was like, this doesn't add up. So, you know, I certainly identified at that point in my life of like, man, I have a, a fear of not having enough or, you know, there's, you know, there's issues there related to money. Um, but this wasn't the problem. Looking back at that story, it's not the fear. It's the lack of trust in what the master wanted to do with it. It wasn't the guy's money to decide what to do with it anyway. So when the master comes and asks for, the, for what you've done with the talents, the guy said, you know, I, I was afraid of, of what you would do. I'm afraid of who you are. I, I know that you sow and you reap where you don't sow. I know that you, you get where you don't uh, put in. Um, I, was, I was afraid of losing anything, so I just hit it and I've, I've returned it to you with, with nothing, nothing added. And the master said it would be better if you just gave it to the bankers and got something for it. You know, even that was um, tolerable. I mean, how many would, would close a bank account immediately if you went and you had deposited with a broker or with some other, uh, even to a savings account, and you come back and the banker said, well, I, I had your check, but I just put it in my drawer. You know, you're not going to, you have no interest on it. I, I just thought it was safer that way. You know, you, you have no additional wouldn't you be upset? You'd be, you know, you've, you've essentially stolen from me. Any interest that I would have had, you've stolen from me. That's the indignation that the master had with the, with the steward. He had stolen the opportunity. And it was that the, the steward knew the master. He knew what he was like. He knew it. But he decided to take that ownership back on himself. And instead of doing what the master wanted, he did exactly what he intended, and he stole that ownership. Throughout the Bible, we can see how God views stewardship by the people that he puts in charge. Think of the very first steward, Adam. God comes to Adam and he tells him that he has the responsibility of the garden. He also has the responsibility of the first family. He's responsible to show the image. Noah was a steward of a new beginning. He had to be the father, first the one to build the boat and do exactly what God said and prepare the boat, prepare the ark, and gather all the animals he had to be a steward of what God supplied, and then he had to be the steward of a new beginning. Abraham was the steward of the covenant. He had to show the way as the promised people. Moses had to be the steward of the children of Israel. They weren't Moses' people. They were God's people. But Moses had to lead them, and he had to do it as a good steward, being faithful and obedient. David had to be a steward 
as the first righteous king in, in Israel, he was a steward of, of all that God had given him. The prophets were stewards of the, of the captivity and of, of all the, um, the rest of the Old Testament. They had to be the eyes and ears, or the, the mouthpiece, I should say, of God. And they had to be uh, obedient when God spoke to his people to let them know and to warn them. And then in New Testament, the disciples were stewards. They were the stewards of the new church and the new covenant. We can see in Saul, he stole back. Saul, King Saul, he stole back what God had given him. And we can see how that worked out for him. So our role in this, we must see that this is a part of who we are, this identity is being a steward of what God has given to us. Because it's, it's how we can identify with him as the owner of everything. We can share in his ownership of everything because he has given us this stewardship. You know, this may even resolve the cheerful giver uh, issue. If you've ever thought about that and think of, well, I'm, I'm kind of short on cash this month, or, you know, but I, I do need to give an offering. Uh, how do you be cheerful? You know, certainly a grimace isn't quite a cheerful uh, expression. But think about those first two servants that were able to come to the master and say, look what I did with what you gave me. How excited would you be to go to a boss or to a client or to uh, family members and say, look what I've done. I've doubled it. Um, so think of it that way. It's not yours to, to worry about where it's coming from. Certainly we must be responsible, but it's God that, do, that gives the increase. Um, so as we use his resources, then suddenly we can be proud of what we were able to give in an offering and, and be cheerful about it. We can readily be cheerful when the goal is not to bring our money, our time, or our influence but instead to present how, through obedience to his principles, how successful we've been as a, as a steward of time and our influence. We should see ourselves as managers of God and our talents and resources. So this morning, as I close, the issue is how you see yourself as a steward. God wants a relationship with us, and this is a part of that relationship. We can certainly see there's, there's many aspects to a relationship, but he hasn't left this one out. So as we see ourselves and our occupations, how we give our time and our talent to other things, whether we really own what we do and like what we do or whether we really hate what we do and can't wait to move on, all that is still God's. His plans are made for his stewards. His eternal plans are made for the stewards that he can trust and know that they are obedient to him and they are grateful to him. We must understand that our attitudes toward him and his ownership of everything is a major part of our identity. We can be fulfilled in trusting that he is our great provider and we are his stewards. So he reshapes our identity as we become uh, closer to his character. So we start to see ourselves that he is the provider, 
and we are the faithful steward. I'm going to close with a scripture in James 4.13, and it kind of wraps up um, how in the New Testament to reframe your thinking on where you uh, think you're going with how your occupation or your job or anything else, and then a slight correction that makes a, a major difference. James 4.13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there. Buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor and appears for a time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that our identity is found in you, and our complete identity is found in you. Whether we think it's important or not, Lord, you put it in our hearts to be your stewards. Lord, our work and our occupation or, or how we provide, Lord, it can be so mundane and monotonous sometimes, and we can lose sight that it's a part of our identity that you've put in us uniquely to have a purpose, and that purpose is to be your steward. So, Lord, I pray that we would remember that as we go through our lives, that it is all yours, and it is how we can have a deeper relationship with you as we turn that over to you. We thank you in Jesus' name.